I'm Diana, and I love printing and design, typography and branding, books and publishing. I've traveled the world learning about trends to share with my students and with my readers. But I haven't forgotten where I started, writing papers about paper on paper. And now, I've created a podcast to share what I know with you. So, let's talk paper scissors. a really neat experience getting to speak at PodCamp 2023. I so respect this small in size, large in stature annual meeting of the minds for a lot of reasons, one of which is its grassroots and no-nonsense approach to being an unconference. If someone is attending a session and they don't feel like it's right for them, they are encouraged to politely get up and head to another session where they may find more value. I also appreciate the democratized approach to submitting a session idea, as well as the niche community members it attracts. Now, years before I started Talk Paper Scissors in 2019, I attended PodCamp with the inkling that I may want to one day start a podcast of my own. And then the year after that, I presented at PodCamp about logo design fundamentals. So coming back after a number of years, And having the chance to speak about my podcast and my process has been such a neat full circle moment. My talk was entitled Break All the Rules, and in it, I shared the ways in which I am decidedly non-strategic about how I exist in, produce, and market talk paper scissors, and why this is my magic formula. The description for my talk reads as follows. In 2019, Diana dove into the world of podcasting, launching Talk Paper Scissors, a podcast about creativity and graphic communications. By day, Diana teaches students within the creative school at TMU to know their audience and create compelling visual content. By night, Diana does the exact opposite. She creates podcast content for herself more than her audience, with no set production schedule, no set show format, and no set episode length, no less, in a decidedly non-visual format. And it's the best thing she's ever done. Learn the way that Diana uses podcasting as a creative outlet that sometimes interweaves with her day job, allowing her to explore new topics, speak with interesting people, and create a body of work that's opened doors she didn't know existed. Be inspired to create your own podcast that breaks all the rules and is uniquely you. Okay, so now that I finished talking about myself in third person, the one more thing I want to say before getting into this session recording is that I spoke a lot about my audience, you if you're listening, and the fact that I don't always take your needs into consideration when I create my episodes. Now this is mostly true, but I want to assure you that creating content not targeted at you is decidedly different than not caring about you. I care about you deeply. I care that you're here. I care that you listen. I care that you care about these topics in this podcast and our asynchronous arm's length yet very real relationship. So thank you for being here. Finally, you can find my presentation for this talk, all the visuals within the show notes for this episode at talkpaperscissors.info. Let's do it. Here's Break All the Rules recorded live at PodCamp 2023. So just to kind of give you some context, 
November 2019 is when I started. Uh, since then, I've produced about 65 hours of total content. So it's it it's a lot over the kind of uh, the the three years that I've been doing this. 137 episodes to date. I just so I don't often peek at my statistics, and I'll explain more about that a bit later. But I found out that I have listeners, in theory, in 113 countries on six continents, which is cool. Which is something I. I uh, didn't anticipate when I went into this. I have about 17,000 total downloads, which is not humongous, but I think it's kind of sizable and speaks to, uh, to this, the nature of this topic. At one point, I rose to 18, number 18, on the Canada Design Podcast charts. I'm now no longer anywhere on those charts in like the top anything, which I'm cool with. I'll explain that as well. And I also had a really cool opportunity to be featured as part of the Hot Docs Podcast Festival in partnership with CBC. It was one of the kind of rising stars or, or um, I, don't even, I don't remember what they called it, but that was a neat opportunity as well. So sometimes I will say, even though this is my passion project that I do at night, sometimes what I do does interweave with my day job. And that's been a really unique thing to have happened for me. For example, during the pandemic in the first fall semester, fall 2020, when it was just like, well, it was, it was a weird time. I knew that I wanted to get out ahead of Zoom fatigue, for example. I knew that many, many classes would be online. I knew lots of FaceTime, face-to-face uh, -face with instructors sitting there in front of a computer. So what I did is I used this platform and I created lecture content and I built stories that would typically be lecture-based content, and I produce them as podcast episodes. And I encourage students, I said, listen, I don't want to meet with you every week. I mean, I will meet with you if you need help, but I don't want you to sit there and watch me talk at you for an hour and a half or three hours or whatever it was. Instead, I want you to take this story, this concept, this idea, and go walk. Like, just listen and walk, or do the laundry and listen, or whatever you need to do. Uh, so I've, so it does certainly and, and continues to interweave with my day job, but it is distinctly a passion project for me, uh, which allows me to break all the rules. We'll get there. Cool. So here's one of the rules that I think often is, uh, is told to us as podcasters or people who are producing kind of quality audio. Podcasting is a serious professional business that must be met with serious professional processes. And to that I say, yeah, maybe sometimes, but I'm not always down for that. So just to give you context, when I started in November 2019, this was my studio. It was a Rubbermaid tote bin lined in camping foam and then sealed with duct tape. And I stuck my head in a box and I spoke into it. And I have no idea what I was doing. In my first episodes, you can also hear my air conditioner coming on uh, right below me. Like it, it was messy, but that's okay. That's cool. Yes, I'm very, I'm fancy, I'm fancy. Uh, I have since graduated to this very glamorous space, which in theory looks glamorous here, but if you were to walk out a few steps from this photo, I have hijacked my child's closet. I ripped it out and I now produce podcasts in her closet. And so she, uh, she, she stopped calling it her closet and she now calls it my office, but really it's a, it's, it's a clothis, I guess. But this is, this is what I uh, have kind of graduated to. So yeah, nothing fancy, nothing fancy here. Furthermore, as it relates to process and kind of thinking about 
your podcast and the way I think about mine is so often we're told that a consistent production schedule is needed. So I was just in here for the last session, brilliant session, brilliant speakers. They espoused this. I will say yes. Yes, that is absolutely valid. I choose not to listen to that. So because this is a passion project for me, when I am jazzed about something, I may produce three episodes back to back in a week. Or if I am just overwhelmed, overloaded with my day job, I won't produce anything for months at a time. So for me, consistency is not what this is about. It's about taking a topic, taking uh, an opportunity to speak with someone really interesting and running with it. And if that means there's lots of content created all at once, I'll just push it out there all at once or back to back, or I just won't produce anything for an extended period of time. So I don't see there being a right or wrong here. Another thing, another good rule is set show format and length. So uh, again, in the last session, um, uh, Marco was talking about the fact that his podcast is 26 minutes and it's all about putting people to sleep with his, with his words. Uh, so great, awesome. My podcast episodes range from six minutes to an hour and 26 minutes. Like there is just a complete variation on what I'm putting out there. Sometimes it's an interview format. Sometimes it's me waxing poetic about something that, I don't know, happened on a walk and it connects somehow to creativity and design and, and there's like a little something there, a seed that I just want to share. Or it could be collaborating with students. So I've been doing a lot of interesting stuff with collaboration and, and play and inviting students to participate in the process with me. And what that means is that no two shows really look the same, which I love, which keeps everyone on their toes. Uh, I don't know if the audience loves it, to be honest, but I don't really care. It's okay. It's okay. Careful content creation for a target market. So that dovetails nicely right here. Do I understand my audience profile? Kind of. Do I really think about creating content that they will love and absorb and come uh, to week after week or month after month? Not really, not really. Because this is a passion project for me, and I'll, that sounds really selfish, but it really is a space where I can feel free to create and explore and have interesting conversations with interesting people. It's not always going to resonate with the same audience. But because I'm not so worried about the metrics, which I'll get to, that that's okay, that's okay. So for example, I did a whole series of episodes about, um, I call it the incomplete history of type. And so I look at one specific typeface and I kind of dive into the history of that and why, how it plays a role in, in today's modern use. So I kind of document a number of different typefaces and I have all of these different episodes. But then I wanna use this space also as a place to connect with um, people in education. Because I'm primarily an educator, I wanted to sit down with a few different educators who are at the top in their field really interesting ideas and chat with them about pedagogy and nerdy stuff that most people who care about typography are not going to care about. So I allow both of those things to exist in this space, again, because I'm coming at it from the perspective of it being a passion project, ultimately for, for me. If there's people listening in, awesome. It may not resonate with everybody, but uh, hopefully there's a few people out there who will enjoy listening. This is a good one. Uh, creating episodes well-suited to audio. So there are certain things like 
having a conversation for 26 minutes that will put you to sleep, audio makes perfect sense. I'm talking about typography. I'm talking about design. I'm talking about art. I'm talking about things that are inherently super visual that don't lend themselves very well to an audio format, but there are ways around that. So I think that there's there's uh, lots that I want to explore specifically in a conversational format. And so I will create things like show notes and I'll put links and I'll have visuals, but I will try, I, I see it as a beautiful constraint that how do I talk about something that is inherently visual in a way that people will understand even as they're listening and maybe don't have those visuals right in front of them. So I see this as a playful constraint more than something to say like, okay, I, I shouldn't do that because it's not a good fit for audio. And then finally, strategic SEO. I don't care if anyone finds me. <laughs> Maybe that's awful to say, but like, again, I, I, there, if you are trying to make money podcasting, this advice is probably not for you. But if you're just wanting to create an audio podcast because it's something that you feel deep down inside that needs to come out of you, then I say, who cares? Uh, there are, I, I do promote myself on Instagram. Typically I have a website, but am I really thinking about strategic, careful SEO keywording? Not really, not really. Sometimes I even forget to put hashtags in my posts on Instagram. I'm like, whoops. Okay. I guess I could go back in and, and insert them later, but I'm not so concerned about this because I'm primarily using this as a playground, a creative playground for myself. Cool. Another rule. You need someone's permission to pursue interesting creative work. And I say permission schmermission, <laughs> if I can say that. Uh, so I, this has been one of the most freeing experiences creatively of my life. And I am a creative person and I've done creative things uh, for a long, long time. But this to me is something um, that I could do for a long time to come because I don't have anyone, no one needs to give me permission. I don't feel that I need to take permission to say like, you you need to do X, Y, or Z. No, I can do whatever. And so this has been incredibly freeing. And I think I've produced some of my best work because of the sheer fact that I keep at it because I don't feel like I'm constrained and needing someone else's permission to do it. So that has been really, really exciting for me. So here is a pie. And so oftentimes kind of uh, leading right from what, what you've said, and so your name? Ray. Ray. Gotcha. Perfect. Thanks, Ray. So leading from what you said, that's exactly it. So the scarcity mentality is, I think, something that, that, that some, not all, but some people will experience to think that, well, there's already 200 podcasts about design and about art and about typography. Why would I start a new one? Um, so it's this kind of scarcity mentality. The pie is full. There's no slice for me. And so what I have always suggest to people and who, who have this kind of um, this fear, this trepidation that it's already being done is if you can't find a slice of that pie, bake another pie. <laughs> like just there, you don't need anyone's permission. So we can all have work, I think, that exists out there that will uh, we put it out. And if someone likes it, if someone listens, fantastic. And if not, we've, we're better for that experience of having created it. There is one podcast in particular. I don't know if anyone listens to uh, Debbie Millman's Design Matters. So Debbie Millman, it's number two, I think, right now on the, on the Canadian design podcast charts when I was checking for this presentation. 
And she has been doing it forever and ever and ever. So in the back of my head, a part of me said, like, how am I going to do something that is better than Debbie Millman? How am I going to do something that's different than Debbie Millman? She's like the mainstay. But at the end of the day, the unique voice that I bring to this, the experiences that are different from what she's experienced, the way I'm approaching my show, all of these things, I think, add value that have me kind of happy with my secondary pie that maybe doesn't fit perfectly into what's already out there, but I'm still creating work and I think it's still valid and I'm enjoying the process. So I don't think I need anyone's uh, permission to be able to do that. And I love Debbie and I love what she does. And I'll never be, do, I will never have done this for as long as Debbie has, but all is to say that um, I'm just going to unapologetically do my thing and put it out into the world. And if someone likes it, fantastic. <laughs> well, it's kind of neat. So I'm presenting at a conference in May alongside Debbie Millman. I was like, what? This is cool. Yeah. Of, of mine or of the other Debbie Millman's? Uh, it's called Design Matters. Talk, paper, scissors. Yes, exactly. Talk, paper, scissors. All right. So another rule. The most important thing to keep in mind is how others will perceive my podcast. And again, if you're trying to make money, if this is something that is a commercial venture for you, this will be more important than if it's something that is a passion project. But I say, I'm going to break that rule as well. So I think that the process of creating the podcast episodes for me and the process of bringing people in and speaking with interesting people, um, <laughs> which I didn't realize, I guess it makes sense, but podcasts kind of live in that sweet spot where they're still very, very accessible to create your own, to start your own, but they still have a bit of novelty where I'm like, I have a podcast. People kind of like lean in, tell me, tell me about it. I'm like, would you like to come on my podcast? They're like, yes, you have a podcast, of course. So people who I have no business speaking with in reality, in terms of our, our social position in the, in, the, in the kind of business hierarchy, will oftentimes say, yes, yes, I will. I'd love to chat with you on, the, on your podcast. So uh, just the, the ability to have interesting conversations with interesting people, I think is much more important than, uh, and the process is much more important than, than this. Now, what I will also say about this is that quantity leads to quality. So in creative work in general, I don't, I don't think quantity is given enough, um, enough merit, but really when we are doing this again and again and again and trying things and things that don't work and, and what have you, that inherently, your work gets better. So it's hopefully what people perceive of my 137th podcast episode, it will be better and it will be tighter and it will be more interesting than my first episode. But ultimately it's for me, the process from one to 137, all of that in between stuff has been the magic. Now, I think it is important to note this, and this is something that I, I kind of was a, a shift for me in terms of um, just uh, overcoming some of my ideas about the outcome of my work, about, about my audience, all of these things. At the end of the day, we can really only control the process, not the outcome of our work. 
we can do the best work that we possibly can. We release it into the world as a podcast episode, but there's nothing saying that people are going to like it. There's nothing saying, there could be one person saying, this is the best thing I've ever listened to. And then you turn around and you and someone is saying the opposite. Eh, this sucks. I mean, you can see that polarization on any social media post that you open up. I open up something, someone's work and, and I look at it and I'm like, wow, this is incredible. And then all of a sudden I'm, I kind of flip to the comments and I'll have someone, wow, this is incredible. And then the very next comment, I can't believe they didn't mention this or, right? So there's always gonna be critics. There's always gonna be people who are, who are kind of admirers of your work. But at the end of the day, the only thing you can control is the process. So that's true. Why not kind of relish and find joy and interest and curiosity in the process rather than spending so much time focused on the outcome? which will be received on one end of the spectrum and the other and probably everywhere in between. And I love this. So this is, uh, does anyone know Seth Godin? He's a marketing guy, Seth Godin. He's a pretty incredible thought leader in the space. So he has a book, he has many books, but this book is called The Practice, Shipping Creative Work. And in that book, he spells out the difference between confidence and trust in the process. And I thought it's, it, it's kind of noteworthy here. So he says that confidence is not the same thing as trusting in the process. And what he means by that, and I should also say that he suggests that we trust in the process rather than being confident because confidence is the feeling we get when we imagine that we have control over the outcome. Whereas trust in the process is doing our most important work irrespective of the outcome. And I loved that shift, that kind of uh, framework shift of we don't necessarily have to come in this the most confident, we just have to trust ourselves, trust the process, do the work that we feel we're called to do because it's worth doing, because it's worth making even if nobody listens, even if, even if nobody cares, so to speak. Now, one of the things that I do in my work as it relates to my process and my commitment and, and kind of focusing on the trusting part versus the, the confidence piece is I like to slow cook my work. So one of the things that I love doing is I love, it keeps me up at night in a good way, uh, is thinking of all of these different ideas and episodes and, and playful experimentation and just things that I could do in this space and people I could talk to in this space. So I have a running list, quite literally, of 100 or so episodes. So I've, I've made 137. I probably have 100 more in this big Google Doc that sits there. And depending on what I'm doing in any given uh, day or week or month in my day job, if there's something that intersects or is really like an interesting seed that has been planted in my head, and what I tend to do is then I, I throw it in a document and I let it sit there and I let it kind of marinate and I let I think about it. I think, I think, I think. And then when the time is right, if the time is right, I grab that idea and I kind of run with it. So I do a lot of that marinating and that's part of my trusting in my own process. So I'll come up with an idea. Maybe I'll go for a walk. Maybe I'll, I'll let it simmer for an hour, a day, a week, a month, whatever. And then I can, I can run with it. Here's another rule. Every episode must be of the highest quality with rigorous editing. 
So what I say to that is, yeah, maybe sometimes, <laughs> but I think good and done is far better than perfect and not done. So that is, to me, something that, that always is in the back of my mind. Good and done is better than perfect and not done. And so what this means or how that translates ultimately is I try and kind of intentionally honor my past episodes, keeping kind of a kind-hearted approach. Because I, if I go back and I listen to my first episode, my 10th episode, my 20th episode, is it a little bit cringeworthy? Yeah. Yeah. Are there like 73 things I wish I would have changed or done differently? Yes, absolutely. But if I hadn't created that first or 10th or 20th episode, I wouldn't be at 137 and have talked to the people I've talked to and done the things I've done and had the thoughts that connected to other pieces. So it's, it's again, for me, not so much about creating the perfect audio as it is creating the audio and creating the work. Also in episode one, something I said, which I'm so glad I said it, I'm like, thanks past self, is I hope that my first episode is my worst episode and it can only get better from there. So it was kind of that expectation I placed on myself or lack of expectation I placed on myself in episode one to say like, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to even be good necessarily, but I'm going to make it. And from here, it's just going to get better and better as I learn the tech, as I learn the uh, how to interview people, uh, which I had no idea how to do, uh, which I, uh, it, and it's just about creating that content and being consistent with myself, giving myself a bit of leeway, not having it all figured out before I started. Now, this graph is called an asymptote. And essentially what this means is it's a graph whereby you will never have this line come to zero. And I think this is, for me, an important visual. Perfection is not real, especially in creative work, because of the creative continuum. There's very rarely a binary right or wrong, yes or no. Uh, very often, creative work inherently lives in that middle gray space. There are so many different ways to approach a project or a problem um, and solve it in a creative way that doesn't rely on a right or a wrong answer. So when we think of quality, time, and then that line being perfection, we see a steep increase in quality as time goes on. But then there comes to a point where we're approaching perfection, if that truly does exist, where we can never get there because of the subjectivity of creative work. So good and done is better than perfect, which doesn't really exist anyway, and not done. Now, perfection. Perfection stops a lot of us from doing a lot of things. And maybe I'm generalizing, but for me, I know that growing up, that was always uh, something that was a hurdle, that I wanted to do my best work. I wanted to do perfect work. Um, and it's only as an adult where I've really, in my mid-30s, that I've finally figured out, like, oh, wait, perfection isn't real. And no one really cares anyway. Uh, but what I think it's helpful to realize is the opposite of perfection is not imperfection. Does anyone know what it is? Any thoughts? Contentment. So the opposite of, in my mind, the opposite of perfection is an imperfection. It's being content with what we put out there, even in its imperfect state. 
Now, I should also say that I think the root of perfectionism comes from a good place. What I mean by that is even today, like I, I speak in front of people, in front of fairly large groups of people. I have 90 uh, senior level students who sit there every Friday night from three to six. What an awful time slot. Friday, three to six, three to six is like a senior group of students um, who sit there and, and listen to me blather on about advanced typography. Uh, but even coming into this space here today, like I was nervous. I was really ner I am still really nervous to stand up in front of you. And I think the, the reason for that is because it comes from a place of wanting to do a good job. It's something that I care about. This is like my baby. I have two other babies. They're important, but this is like my baby. And it's, it's something that uh, I think is worth noting that wanting to be perfect and wanting to do a good job often comes from a very good place. It comes from a very um, important place of, of, of that. But uh, just know, I think it's again, helpful to go back to the idea that we don't have control. Once we release our creative work out into the world, we don't have control ultimately over how it's received. All we can control is the process. All we can control are our own thoughts and emotions about what we put out there. And I think contentment is a much better, that's not a great word, but a much better place to live than worrying that if it's perfect or not. Okay, we're almost there. I think this is my last rule that I've broken. Success means lots of listens, lots of episodes, and monetization. So it's trying to make money from your, from your side hustle. But I'm going to say no. Uh, I tend to really love the fact that I enjoy the process, and I really don't look at these things. So for the purposes of this presentation, I went into my statistics. I hadn't been in there for like six months plus, And I had a look at how many listens, how many countries, all of those things. That's great. I mean, they're not overwhelming numbers, but they're, they're okay, I think, for what I'm doing in the scope of my marketing and what have you. But uh, even if not a single person listened, I would still create these episodes. And that's when I know that I'm really doing something that I care about and that I enjoy. Um, I think I owe it to the people who I interview, again, some of whom are, are fairly big, big shots in the realm of design and type and what have you. Um, I owe it to them to release the episodes when I say I will release the episodes. But truly, if I created these and not a single person listened, or I didn't publish them, I would still do it. And that's that to me is an important piece. I also have made the decision that I will never monetize. And that's something that kind of yeah, I've, I've thought about from time to time. But for me, if I were to take this and monetize it, it would take some of that allure out. I feel like I'm, it's almost like committing to marriage. Like you're, you're sealing the deal. You're saying like, this is official. You're, it's monetized. You're kind of like not interested anymore. I love my husband. It's, we're fine. Um, but all this to say, it's something I've chosen that I will, I will never do because it muddies the waters for me. And it just, it, it takes some of that seductive, uh, temptation away. Now, some other ways that I measure success, or I think about what success means to me in my podcast, is play and experimentation. This was a series that I did that ballooned out of control. 
in the best way possible. It started out with me wanting to interview uh, a couple of visual artists. So I'm not a visual artist, but I can so appreciate things that other people put out into the world in the in the space of visual art. So I wanted to to kind of um, yeah, just t chat with some people in that space. What that turned into and what it ballooned into was a 17 episode series called Intersection. And I had no idea where it was going. <laughs> I was like 14 episodes in. Uh, I hadn't released anything yet, but I had recorded them. I'm like, what am I doing here? Like, I don't know what the connection is. How am I going to tie it all together? At the end of the day, what I, what I did, I created this massive spreadsheet kind of pulling out key themes of each of these interviews. And I interwove each, uh, each episode with the next. So I put two episodes back to back, whereby those two artists shared a common thought or idea. And then I created this like weird, crazy, overlapping uh, circle Venn diagram to the max that showed those, those kind of intersections or those interlaps. So I told the stories of the artists and then the stories between the stories, these commonalities. I had no idea again where I was going with this, but it all came together in the end. And for me, it was so much fun. It's like dorky to the max, but it was so much fun to kind of piece this together. And it was a giant puzzle. And so this play and this experimentation and giving myself the space to make this, I don't know, it was, even if no one listened, I would have enjoyed this process. So play, experimentation equals success for me. I also, so this is kind of funny. Uh, so I know very little about ASMR, um, still don't know that much, but my friends and I were chatting, we have a, a group chat and they said, oh, you should create some ASMR episodes about like cutting paper. And I'm like, okay. I, so I, I was literally on a walk with my dog and I Googled what ASMR is. And I'm like, okay, that might be fun. That might, there's, there might be something there. So what I did here is within about a 48 hour time window, I went from being on my dog walk, chatting with my friends, to having produced three episodes of this kind of ASMR content that I thought would be interesting for students to listen to, to kind of quiet their minds and settle them down before exam, exam time. So I created, so I read a chapter of a history of print book, like the most boring thing I could think of. It's like, Gutenberg is the, da, 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 I don't, whatever I said in this, uh, I read through chapter two and I just released it as an episode. So that was my kind of my talk. And then I did one about paper. And so I had me kind of uh, turning the pages of a book slowly right in front of the mic, <laughs> right? And then I had, so then I did one about scissors. So I was cutting, cutting paper, right? So talk, paper, scissors, right? So it was this like creative thing that, was it okay? Yeah, it was okay. But was it groundbreaking? No. Am I glad I did it to try it? Yeah, absolutely. So again, it's this idea of experimentation and being able to do things have these like creative microbursts where within that 48 hour span, I have an idea, I get that like idea high, I run with it, I make something, I put it out into the world. And if it's great, it's great. If it's not, that's fine. That's totally fine. Yes, yes. Talk, paper, scissors. So then I just, yes, it was kind of tongue in cheek uh, creating, yes. Exactly, exactly. So what I will say, uh, is that, again, a big part of the definition of success versus metrics versus monetization versus all of the things that we're told are success is, am I enjoying it or not? And I understand that people need to 
pay the bills. And in some, for some people, and in some cases, podcasting will do that for them. For me, that's not it. And I would say that even if podcasting does have to pay the bills, or, or that's what you choose to kind of explore to pay the bills, carving out space for your passion project, for your creative outlet, your, your, something that you can just make and put it into the world, or not even put it into the world, just make it, I think is so, so valuable. And for me, that's what this is. That's what, that's what Talk Paper Scissors and this podcast is. So success is not monetization. It's not metrics. Success for me is, am I enjoying doing this? Am I being playful? Am I, being, am I experimenting? Um, and so that's, that's been a really huge mind shift for someone who has always been grades driven. Like you dangle that carrot and I'm like, I'm coming. Uh, this has been a complete 180 for me to, to realize that my, my happiness, if we want to get really big about this, my happiness and my success doesn't live in the metrics. It lives in how I'm feeling about the process and how I'm kind of exploring this medium. Cool. This is my very first episode. Oh, hey, Comic Sans. What's up? Uh, so I started this three years ago, and I started it on a gut feeling. And I had all of this pent up creative energy uh, being on mat leave, and I just needed to like make something. And this is what it was. I'm so, so glad that I, I made this. Uh, and I really didn't have a specific clear goal. It's 137 episodes in, I feel like I now have a clear goal, which is have do interesting things, have interesting conversations, work on interesting projects, uh, tackle interesting topics with interesting people. And that is now my goal, which maybe again, doesn't make a lot of sense if we're thinking about targeting an audience, if we're thinking about monetizing and making the most from this. But for me, that is my goal in this podcast, interesting projects with interesting people. And when I started this, here, here I am, check me out. When I started this, uh, my shaky voice on a mic in my duct tape <laughs> Rubbermaid tote with my head in a box three years ago, this was me by myself. And I kid you not, since that time, in collaborating with different uh, people who I've interviewed, in collaborating with different students that I've worked with, in meeting people, I started to total up and tally up the number of people who I have worked with and who I have met as a direct result of this podcast. And this is the number. So I am so, so happy that I created this. And I don't care if anyone listens, no offense, I don't care if you listen, but I care that I have created this space for myself uh, to be able to break all the rules and to be able to kind of establish, establish this community whereby I continue to work on interesting projects with interesting people. Cool. Well, here's my, my self-promotion. So uh, the, I wanted to put this up here. My favorite resources. This is my last slide. My favorite resources are that I used to start my podcast is this one. This is an updated version. I used the 2019 version. But this is the step-by-step uh, -step guide to how to start a podcast. And it's really great. And it's free. And it's, it's super accessible. The other uh, one I would highly recommend is called Make Noise, A Creator's Guide to Podcasting and Great Audio Storytelling by Eric Nizum. Uh, with anything kind of visual, or sorry, with anything kind of uh, in the voice 
in the voice realm, uh, I always buy female comedians audiobooks because they just tell it so much better than I could ever read it in my head. Same with this. This is a book about podcasting. I found the audio version to be very valuable. So that's what I would recommend. And then if you're interested to kind of know more about me or, or kind of connect with me at any point, uh, that's my information. And I have kind of this cool, I uh, had this really neat opportunity that came from this podcast, which was like bananas to me. So uh, I created a course for Domestica. Uh, they approached me and I kind of pitched this idea of creative confidence. And, and anyway, it's, it's been really, really exciting. But this is another fringe benefit of starting a podcast and not caring what anyone thinks is that I do more interesting creative work that has landed me opportunities that would never have presented themselves had I not gone about it that way. It is and it isn't. There's totally, and I completely agree, there's value there and there has to be value, I think, for both you and the person, for example, who you're interviewing. And yeah, so I think in the uh, limited sense, I would never monetize, but by proxy of what I'm doing, I'm expanding my clout and I'm expanding my horizons and I'm expanding my networks and my community. Yes, yes. And that's been a huge, again, kind of fringe benefit of, of doing all this that has been incredible. Yes. <laughs> Have you been talking to my therapist? <laughs> True story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I, I think that I, my brain is, is very organized and, and the way I approach my work in general is very strategic and organized. And so I don't know if I'm answering your question directly, but when, when I had the idea to create a podcast, it was, to me, an umbrella under which I could experiment and explore and be a little less linear and a little less strategic. So have I always kind of taken... Whatever I do and uh, apply rigor and process, yes. Do I do this here? Yes, to some degree, but I feel like I have so much more space to kind of just sink in and try whatever. Um, I don't know if I'm answering your question exactly. Okay, yeah. Burnout is real. Burnout is real. Um, yeah, yeah, um, definitely what I do is when I have an idea that I know there's something there, like in my gut, there's, there's something cool there that I want to explore, I always chuck it into a Google Doc. And so um, I don't know if anyone's heard of the, the concept of building a second brain. So yeah, so it's, it's kind of the idea is to take all of the, the stuff that you're storing in your head and free up some of that mental space by placing that into a digital form that can become your second brain. And then you can leave ample space to kind of process and create and all those things. So I take that idea very, very seriously. And I have, um, I also do a lot of writing uh, in the space of, of design and education. And so I will have articles that I'm writing three months, four months down the line, but I will always have a Google Doc where I'm adding in links or I'm adding in thoughts or I get whatever inspired here and I'll just chuck it all into this Google Doc so that when I go to write that piece or I go to create that podcast episode or I go to, to, to actually make uh, and produce, I'm not starting from a blank page. I'm starting from a place of, of abundance. Um, so it's, remind me of your question again. I feel like I haven't answered it all. I clear it. I clear my cash. 
into yes into my my second brain and that frees up space to kind of um to live now easier said than done uh i i i am blessed with ideas and creativity and i feel like i am a conduit for things coming at me all the time a lot of things inspire me so shutting that down quieting that down is hard for me i decided uh last summer like <laughs> enough was enough with my racing brain uh that i went on a one month i had the the great um so I went on a one month sabbatical as it were. So, so I basically turned off everything. I committed to not working for that single month. It took me 21 days to get to a point where my mind stopped racing and it was like a little quieter. So it's, it's, um, what is it? Yeah. It's, it's easier said than done, especially as people who, who feel that we are very creative people and we have lots of ideas to bring to the forefront. But I think I am at a place now where I have that document. It's all there. I know that all of those things will not necessarily get produced. Maybe 99 out of 100 will never get produced, but I know they're there. It's kind of like they're in the bank. And so that gives me peace of mind that I can, I can not have to worry about them for like when I'm going about my daily life. Research once, output many is the way that I operate. What I, what I research, I call it room, research once, output many. So what I'm doing, for example, in my day job, if I am putting together a lecture on inspiration. So this is a true story. Last semester, I had a week to fill in my interdisciplinary innovation course. And I'm like, ooh, I'd love to do something about inspiration and what that means creatively and academically and all the rest. Um, so what, what uh, I ended up doing is I uh, kind of came up with uh, what I was teaching in my day job. I came up with that lecture and then I repurposed that into three podcast episodes. So what I will do is that if there is something in my day job that I'm being paid to do, that I'm having to do anyway, and I can somehow pull that in or tweak it or remix it into a podcast episode, that's where I start with the low hanging fruit, with the things that are kind of easiest and most accessible and most exciting for me in that moment. If anyone wants to connect with me after the fact, um, please feel free to do so. I will uh, be in the hallway. That's where I'll be. Thanks everybody. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you, thank you. Okay, so after my talk, I went out into the hallway like I promised, and a few individuals continued the conversation with me. I had a chat with a couple of like-minded creatives, and I'd like to share a quick story about one of those conversations here. Now, this individual is a multi-passionate creative director who is brimming with ideas, but he was having trouble committing where to focus his creative energy. As we spoke, he insightfully summarized my approach to creative work far better than I ever had. He articulated that when I have a creative idea, it appeared as though I could put down my extraneous idea baggage, referring to offloading my ideas from my brain into a written document that I can come back to later, which is something I spoke about in the talk, allowing a single idea to take flight because I am traveling light with only a carry-on. I love this. I took this one step further and countered that even if I were to lose that change of clothing in my carry-on bag, I don't know, for example, I somehow left my shoes on the plane, I don't know how that would happen, but stick with me here, that the creative constraint of figuring out how to then create new shoes or use someone else's shoes or whatever it may look like makes the journey all that much more fun and interesting. 
It is incredible conversations and spontaneous moments of shared creative exploration like this that are the very reason that I love this podcast and this space. Interesting projects with interesting people is my goal. May we all experience more moments of setting down our idea baggage, traveling light, focusing on play, experimentation, and finding joy in the journey. Until next time, hopefully at PodCamp 2024.